Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's time for that last-minute frantic Christmas shopping. That's the kind I do best. But good luck finding heavy cream, light cream, whipping cream, medium weight cream for your cooking. My boy Ben needs his mashed potatoes creamy, man. Uh, I had this problem at Thanksgiving. I had definite supply chain issues on these popular items. And it's it's not like you can buy the cream months in advance. So as we work our way through the run-up to Christmas, the winter solstice, joining us today, Bill D'Agostino, media editor for Newsbusters and senior research analyst at the MRC. Welcome. What's up, Tim? How's it going? It is that time of year when we get to learn terms like omnibus. It's not a minibus. It's the omnibus. They're trying to pass this $1.7 trillion bill. And obviously, the question most conservative Republicans are asking is, why? Why can't you just wait until January when you have a new Republican Congress and make those decisions then instead of trying to make them so the Democrats can run everything through September? Right. It's mind boggling. It's insane. Uh, But yes, this is one of those issues where we're like, oh, Brent Bozell hates Mitch McConnell. Oh, I get it. (laughs) I have been enjoying Mike Lee. I mean, look, uh, the, the the conservatives are making fun of this because, of course, in, included in this massive 4,155-page bill that no one has read. No one. Except the people that wrote it, I guess. Uh, they, they have plucked out. We have roughly $3.6 million to go toward the Michelle Obama Trail in Georgia. I don't know. She's not from Georgia, uh, but... I don't know. Uh, they Why? also have a speaker, Nancy Pelosi, federal building in San Francisco. Yeah, I heard about that. She gets a building. And, uh, well, yes, Richard Shelby, the retiring senator from Alabama, gets the FBI building in Alabama. This is, you know, Patrick Leahy's got some lake named after him. I This is the kind of thing where it's like, yes, swamp. Yep. Did you did you hear about the uh, $1.5 million for a program in California encouraging people to eat healthy? So I, I think that means like 1.5 million for signs, I guess. <laughs> I'll I'll take a million and a half and write it down a magic marker. Eat healthy. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll just stand out there in Reston Parkway or whatever, the dullest toll road. Eat healthy. I'll, I'll eat healthy for the rest of my life for 1.5 million. Yeah, ban Twinkies. I don't know. <laughs> but of course, the, yes, the news media are all really more on, oh, they better pass it. They better pass it. We can't have a shutdown. And it's like, look, this is where you should pass a bill that, yeah, that gets us to January. You would think, Bill, a news media that was interested in a well-functioning democracy, a well-functioning Congress, we would go back to what we used to have in the olden days, which was each committee of appropriators put out their bill. There's like 13 of them. And you voted on them individually. So yep. there's the defense bill. There's the labor HHS bill. There's the this and the that bill. And now they're like, no, no, we're going to lump it all together in some massive thing that nobody can read. And, you know, we can just pluck out funny bits. Well, that's that's how that's why they do it that way. I think there are also 12 auxiliary bills that um, makes the total, I believe, one point eight five mil a trillion. Yeah. So, uh that's great. You wonder why there's a deficit. Uh, uh, and look, uh, 
to bring the media into this, yes, there the incentive is always never vote against spending bills or else they'll pluck something out that you failed to do. Yep. And say that well you killed people cuz you failed to vote for this 1.7 trillion dollar bill. I mean all the incentives are to vote for more spending. Obviously we know this for example in the public broadcasting thing you you don't vote against funding PBS or they all say you hate Big Bird. I'm like I thought he was on HBO Max. Uh all right. So this the the big thing happening this week according to the libs is Donald Trump cuz every week Donald Trump's the big thing. What what even is I haven't been paying attention to Donald yeah, Trump. What I mean, even is happening? Well, I mean, there's several. Uh, the big one, the last day or two, was his taxes. Ooh, we got to look at his taxes. The House, the Democrats are going to look at his taxes. At least the media is sort of admitting that this is like the Democrats enjoying themselves on the way out. Yeah. But of course, there's the January 6th committee that on Monday put out these criminal referrals. And this is where they start using the H word. The historic word. So, oh, yeah, gosh, I, Time yeah. Magazine sent on an email I got under the headline, Trump should be prosecuted. January 6th committee declares in historic criminal referral. Now, is it historic if the if the Justice Department goes, no, <laughs> I'm not even going to read your referral? Well, I mean, everything's historic, right? If you this is this is the first criminal referral for this specifically from the January 6th committee. Therefore, it's historic. This it, is the first December 21, 2022 in the history of the universe. It is a historic day. It seems like they use the word to say things Democrats like. Yeah, it's uh, it's a way of adding positive spin to something without them having to actually be positive about it. Here's the Monday night PBS NewsHour, Judy Woodruff, with her pundits on Monday night. A major, major report today by the January 6th committee. <laughs> so major. Major, major. Not one major was not enough. Tony DeCopo on CBS Mornings Today, our Curtis Houck noted, they had Adam Schiff on. Oh, jeez. Yes. Not Adam Schiff on. They had Adam Schiff on the air. And uh, uh, Adam Schiff on would have actually boosted the credibility a little bit. <laughs> when you think it's butter, but it's not. Oh, no. that's I'm dating myself again. That's an old commercial. It's all good. <laughs> Tony DeCopo was like, uh, oh, the January 6th committee's Going to release its full report. Follows a vote on Monday. A big one, really. Historic vote. Recommending the Justice Department pursue possible criminal charges against former President Donald Trump. That kind of vote had never happened before. Well, in part because Nixon resigned before they got very far with that. Right. You know what I mean? But I mean, this... And of course, Clinton was never going to resign. But I mean, the... I don't, I don't remember anybody necessarily calling Clinton's impeachment historic no they didn't they didn't seem too keen on the word back then for no then reason. it was well then it was why why are they putting the nation through this yep uh well the interesting thing is the january 6th committee is innately extremely historic for one reason that they probably don't want to mention because they keep calling it bipartisan yeah uh which is of course nancy pelosi refusing kevin mccarthy's uh the members that he selected to put on that committee that that is historic it is. And, you know, you think Adam Schiff was asked about that this morning? I mean, I know that Schiff was on with Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation uh, a couple of Sundays ago, and he she basically suggested the referrals looked political. Um, same Sunday, Chuck Todd suggested that, and that's when they trend on Twitter for daring to suggest anything the January 6th committee does is political. 
the fact that they're actually defending that allegation as opposed to just ignoring it and kind of, you know, not saying the quiet part out loud. The fact that they're actually defending against that and saying, oh, how dare you is insane. It's gaslighting. There's no other way to put it. Uh, I forgot to ask, did did she at any point touch base with Schiff on if he's found that uh, evidence of collusion yet or is, is that still going on? I think that keeps getting that keeps getting skipped. I mean, this is look, this is one of the things that we do here at Newsbusters and I think the conservative media in general, and that is trying to remind people when stories collapse, where do, does the news media have the uh, the decency, really, the professionalism to revisit things and say, oh, actually, that's not the way it turned out. Um, for example, P.J. Gladnick has a piece today about how uh, Bloomberg and Axios are both like, oh, by the way, yeah, uh, they're not putting in the final report, but Cassidy Hutchinson's story that sounded wrong at the time about right. Trump was going to grab the steering wheel didn't turn out. Um, and yet, as P.J. knows, you know, at the time they were all like, oh, she's so very credible. You know, I mean, everybody was underlining how credible she was. In this particular case, her story just didn't match. Well, it's exactly like the Steele dossier and the Bob Woodward book, right? It's like every the more embarrassing or unhinged any of Trump's behavior uh, is portrayed as, the more credibility they are immediate or credulity they are immediately willing to give to whoever is making these allegations. You yeah, know? I I'm, mean, that's that's why they took Michael Avenatti seriously, because they really liked what a thorn in Trump's side he was. You know, it's the same thing here. Exactly. I mean, that is this is what a, a real journalist should say. You know, it, it, facts first. If you're going to try that, if that's going to be your motto. Yeah, you should say if it, it shouldn't just be qualified as a fact because it hurts Trump. It should be true or false. And not just, well, we like it because, you know, this is, yes, this is why Anna Navarro called Avenatti the Holy Spirit. I mean, yeah, they've been they've been playing these games with objective fact forever, too, but it's gotten really bad recently. I mean, with the whole capital T, the science thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're they're basically making a power play on what facts are. They, they're kind of claiming they get to determine the truth. That's sort of where we're at at this point. Well, it's kind of the way they've always been. But yes, it's gotten very aggressive. It's gotten overt. Yeah, yeah where, where it's like, we're information. You guys over there with the orange website are misinformation. Right. Uh, that's, that's kind of the game they're playing. Now, uh, I like, we were talking about this the other day, and you suggested that the, uh, the committee hearings... Uh, were the peak of theatrical sanctimony. I think yes. that, that rings true. I mean, while this is something they've been obsessing over, you you did a little study a couple days ago that found that CNN and MSNBC were devoting, oh, roughly 0.3% of what they call the news hole to the Twitter files. And so talk about something that's not history. I mean, this is sort of the point that needs to be made. And that is they're not going to revisit what they did to, for example, to squash the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now, suddenly this year, the New York Times, the Washington Post and now CBS News have now acknowledged that, well, gee, we investigated it, too. And it seems that it's mostly legit, although they did it in a curious way. They did it like, well, we're going to write one 2,500 word story and yep. walk away. Yeah, and and the story was about a referral to the FBI over some tax thing, I think. And then, like, 18 paragraphs down, they're like, and the contents of his laptop, which have since been verified, and, and 
the whole news world kind of stopped at once at that paragraph and went, huh? Yeah. In fact, the New York Times put their story on A20. <laughs> Always funny to remember that they put their story on A20. It's laughable how deliberate. I mean, it, it's crazy. CBS put it on on a Monday morning and just on the Monday morning. Right. So this this is it's it's very self-contained. And that's why it's interesting when this week seems to be. Trump, January 6th. Trump, January 6th. Mm-hmm. Historic, historic. Major, major, really big. And then the Hunter thing is like, mm-hmm, eh, not very big, not very historic. No, and actually uh, the great Rich Noise uh, did a study shortly <laughs> shortly after mine came out looking at how much time uh, CNN and MSNBC spent on four journalists getting banned by Elon for, oh, yeah. I think, like linking to something that was sharing his like, the location his, his of his jet. plane, yeah. I think, or something, which he said was against terms of service. But whatever. The point is um, they quickly surpassed the amount of time they had spent in the first 11 days on the uh, on the Twitter files. They surpassed that within less than 24 hours talking about these journalists. And well, and he, they would say, well, that's because one of them was a CNN journalist. Well, yeah, and he, I mean, he made the point, Rich made the point to me, which I think is is a great line, um, that the media have always kind of been like the high school yearbook staff, right? They don't, they don't want to write about everybody. They want to write about their friends. Yeah. Well, obviously, in this case, what was so instructive about this, and it was a temporary suspension of Washington Post guy, a, a, a New York Times guy, a CNN guy, yeah. et cetera, is the notion that it was temporary, and it was like 48 hours and they all screamed bloody murder. But these same people were fine with the New York Times, the New York Post being suspended for 17 days. Nowhere in those 17 days, I think, did they object to Twitter sitting on the New York Post. No, if, if anything, they ran a bunch of hand wringing stories about like the worrying rise of, of disinformation among right wing media. And they if anything, they pointed to the ban as like evidence of malfeasance, right? They would be like, look, like the New York Post has gotten so bad that they had to be banned from Twitter. Like it was it was that kind of thing. Yeah, the Twitter ban actually served to suppress, not only suppress the story from getting out, it suppressed the story for its branding and for it was branded as it had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. I mean, you made a video back then where it was said just constantly when they when this actually came up, they all said, Russian disinformation, hallmarks of Russian disinformation. And all of them were quoting those 51 former CIA, FBI, whatever uh, guys that that wrote that letter calling it probable Russian disinformation. With no evidence, it was completely not true. It's obvious what they were doing. They were trying to protect Biden and influence the election. And and influence it, they did. And, and yes. so now when the House Republicans are basically suggesting, hey, we want to bring some of these people in. We want to have them testify about, you know, how were you so tremendously confident this was Russian disinformation? And, you know, shows like Morning Joe are like, oh, how dare you question the 51 anonymous or well, at least in this case, they weren't anonymous. But usually they're anonymous. You know, we got our experts, the intelligence community. Yeah, they're far from anonymous. How dare you question our network's 51 paid contributors? <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is the other thing that, yes, it's never discussed except by us, which is, yes, you you take the John Brennans and the and the James Clappers and and they leak a whole bunch of crap to these networks. And then when Trump is out of office, they all get contributor jobs. Yeah, it used to just be leaks, you know, but yeah, now now they get to go on as as analysts 
on this show and literally just push the same uh, intelligence community kind of propaganda, whatever happens to benefit them that MSNBC or CNN likes. You know, they kind of find the happy medium and they just push that willy nilly and CNN and MSNBC are completely credulous. They they just let them get away with it. Yeah. I In mean, fact, they pay them for it. Yeah. I mean, this is Curtis made this point to me yesterday about James Baker, James Baker, who went from the FBI to being on Twitter. Yep. Um, and he was like, well, remember, he was a CNN contributor. So, I mean, it, it's like, yeah, all of these people, they rotate and they rotate in and they rotate out. It's this like, is the new revolving door. And Jen Psaki, who was, you know, a CNN analyst, then the press secretary. Now she's an MSNBC analyst. I mean, it's, you know, Green uh, uh, Jean-Pierre was an MSNBC analyst, now a press secretary. And yeah, when they finally decide, wow, she's really terrible, she'll be back on one of these networks. Yep. Yeah, she'll still have a job. Absolutely. She she won't be out of a job for more than 30 minutes until she makes a phone call. Yeah, I just... You know? just uh, and then they go, well, I don't understand why you think these networks are are Democrat propaganda. How how could you think such a thing? Well, it's because you're, you're now basically the objects of regulatory capture, you know, essentially, right? Like, they're, that, isn't the media supposed to be who's holding the government accountable? Yeah. And now we've got government offices basically infiltrating and being spokespeople for the media. Well, and that's what one of the things that was really interesting about the Twitter files that they were basically like, here's all the FBI people who suddenly joined Twitter. Yep. Uh, on staff. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start saying, well, wait a minute. Are they still working for the FBI in a way? Like, are they undercover or something that there's like 19 of them? And, on- the, and the answer under oath will always be, he was not on the FBI's payroll at that time. No. <laughs> and that's not what we were asking. Um, uh, well, I mean, this is the amazing thing is that the first Twitter files now look like they they weren't exactly accurate because James Baker was stifling the information. Um, he but, pruned. Yeah, he pruned a lot of the bad stuff. And so what we've obviously what we've seen here on the on the Hunter Biden thing, I think the thing that was really fascinating to me was them having a uh, an exercise, a tabletop exercise that journalists participated in about a hack and dump on Hunter Biden. Now, I don't know why, if you're a, re- a reporter at the New York Times or the Washington Post, that you're going over to Twitter, I mean, I guess they probably paid them, yeah. to go through an exercise on how are we all going to squash the Hunter Biden leaks. Right. <laughs> and then and then the leaks actually materialize. And when, of course, the New York Post reports on this and says, oh, the New York Times and Washington Post reporters did not return requests for comment. I always love that. That's one of my favorites. Yep. You put reporters on the, you know, on the hook for something. And then they're like, we won't be returning your phone calls. Yep. So, yes, this would be in the New York Times case, David Sanger, who's been there forever. Um, and at the Washington Post, uh, Ellen Nakashima. Um, neither one of them want to be uh, discussed in terms of how they helped squash the Hunter Biden story. Oh, of course they don't. Oh, but of course, if we go back to, as I had mentioned, the. Uh, Time Magazine very proudly proclaimed in February of 2021, oh, uh, they didn't rig the election. They fortified it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good Lord. That was that was the most dystopian article I've ever read. read. Excuse me. Well, I mean, the, the, so to me, it's like the riot was a terrible thing, but it's not a terrible thing to believe there was a lot of rigging going on. I mean, they're proud of it. They call it fortifying. They're bragging about it. Yeah. I mean, it, this obviously occurred. And so the 2020 election was, at, at the very least, 
was strange, right? I wouldn't say it's illegitimate, but as you know, but there was a lot of shenanigans. There was, there was a, a lot of shenanigans. A lot of shenanigans, you know. And and people kind of dismiss all of that out of hand as saying like, oh, okay, so you're you're just you're doing the my pillow thing, and it's like, no, I'm not. Like, read the read the Time article. They'll is you know, did Mike Lindell write that article too? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I I as I always say, the thing they'd be embarrassed about is thinking that there wouldn't be uh, people denying the election. Um, Trump still denying the election, so. We, the thing about Trump is it's just like he he just he seems more interested in almost being a character in their drama. Yeah. You know, oh, let's terminate the election rules in the Constitution. Now, why on earth? <laughs> what on earth are you doing? The one bulwark that stops the left from crushing us while they hold both houses of Congress and the executive branch. Let's get rid of that. Yeah, it's it's it, no, it's like, why? Why do you have to be this way uh, now? Let's switch a little bit to lighter, more amusing developments. Yeah, sounds on, good. On the first day of Hanukkah, the New York uh-huh. Times crossword was uh, uh, was kind of troubling because the way they had arranged all the black dots or black squares on the crossword, it created the image of a swastika for Hanukkah. Very, very apparent image of a swastika. It wasn't like super cut and dry. Like you could... You feasibly can, see somebody missing it, but like it, it'd be a little hard to. Uh, this this sent obviously a lot of the I, I call them like the QAnon left um, going crazy and being like, see, it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy at the New York Times, and it's like to do what? Yeah, to to make a Nazi crossword puzzle. Like, is this their grand plan? That the amount of hoops you have to jump through to think that this was intentional by the New York Times is crazy. It's this is a story of. How on earth did did nobody catch this before it went to right. print? That's it's, what it's a story. It's a gaffe. Yeah. Now, you you can have fun with it, and certainly you can make an argument that the New York Times reporting on uh, on Israel, for example, that you know, the groups like the Committee for Accuracy in Middle East Reporting in America or Camera would curl your hair with their stories about how the New York Times reports on Israel. But that's not to Absolutely. say that's not to say they would do this on purpose. Uh, the New York Post reported that the uh, the the puzzle was concocted by Washington D.C. based consulting manager Ryan McCarty, mm-hmm. who formulated 22 other puzzles for the paper. But he said, "Thrilled to have my first Sunday puzzle in the Times. Oh, right. This grid features one of my favorite open middles. Is that a new word for swastika?" Do we have other words? Uh, for- he's he's got a better one actually. Later on, he uh, he eventually says, "I I tried to go with the fifteen by fifteen grid, but then I decided to expand it out and go for a fun whirlpool shape." Uh, and I think "fun whirlpool" is my all time favorite euphemism for a swastika. That's <laughs> that's hilarious. Now, what was the thing about the re- people that would do them in the restroom? They would draw them in the restroom. So oh yeah, like if you if you see you know graffiti in some restroom or whatever, and you you don't want to like be coming out and saying like I saw a swastika in there because that word kind of puts people on edge. If you say so, you say like oh I saw you know a a friendship windmill, you know it's a little <laughs> euphemism yeah. like that. I'm definitely going with fun whirlpool now. That is that is the new line. I think the other example you cited to me the other day was the old thing where somebody called in after a plane crashed, and they described the crew as. Captain Sumting Wong, we too low, 
holy fook and, and bang ding out. out. Yeah, that's that's what that's what this is the story of. It's it's this is another this is another uh some Tang Wong we too low kind of story. It's <laughs> it's a like how how did a serious organization do something this embarrassing? This is not intentional any any more than that news reporter, that poor news reporter reading that teleprompter was intentionally being racist towards Asian people. She just got bamboozled really badly. Now, I haven't made this attempt. I don't know if you've made this attempt, but I bet you this hasn't made network television. Huh. You know, I Which actually we'll have to uh, go do that. Yeah, I actually haven't given that a look. That's <laughs> that's sort of a place your bets kind of situation. <laughs> right. Because it's like they you know, the left or the left very much in the media look towards The New York Times as sort of a narrative setting organization. They, they more so than just a paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they sort of in many ways gave the green light to the rest of the left wing media to start talking about Hunter's laptop as real. Because they wrote their article, mm-hmm. you know, and then the post immediately follows up after. That's not a coincidence, obviously. But at the same time, the left love eating their own because that's that's the biggest virtue signal of all is is canceling somebody who's almost as left wing as or progressive as you are. Well, because James, they stepped out of line a little bit. James Bennett. Right. For publishing Tom Cotton. And so, you know, as it, it can really break either way. I'm I'm inclined to say, yeah, I agree that. uh Probably they're not going to talk about it, but I could see like, you know, Alicia Menendez or somebody on MSNBC, like some small time kind of person on MSNBC running a running a segment about it. I think that the you know, this was just a couple of days ago that uh, on the NBC Nightly News, they were like, and now a serious interview with Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas on anti-Semitism, you know, and where where they they were sitting there going, now Mayorkas, you're Jewish, don't you find anti-Semitism to be reprehensible? Is I mean, he it, even? it was that's what they said. Huh. So I, it's one of those things where it was such a PR bonanza. Yeah. Like, please furrow your brow over right. anti-Semitism. Well, okay, I mean that's great. Let's all be against anti-Semitism. But yeah, but to do that, to make to do a segment about anti-Semitism and make the centerpiece of it, here's an incredibly powerful p- cabinet secretary. Let's bring him on camera and go, oh, poor baby. Yeah. Like, that's... Shut up. At the same time that the border's a disaster. Right. Yeah. Didn't no, I, ask I bet, him a border question. I was going to say, I bet, I bet there were no questions mm-hmm. for him on that. No. In fact, Lester Holt had done a little brief on the border minutes before the interview, but it wasn't in the interview. And then, of course, the night after that, there's been some more serious things on the border. But, you know, now they're they're seeing it. You're actually there are some network people down at the border now. They're standing around in El Paso going, gosh, it's pretty bad. Yep. Except, mo- again, most of the stories that they do do are like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're we're worried that some of these people might not be able to make it in in time. You know, yeah, it's, it's right. It's it's always centered on the migrants. I mean, the the the. Um, um, you know, I'm not the type that's like, oh, no, in, invasion of the brown hordes. I, but they're yeah, they are pouring over the border. You The videos show this is the kind of thing that only Fox and Bill Malugin was doing yep. most of this year. And now that the election's over, suddenly, oh, here we are in MSNBC looking at the border. And that that brown hordes thing is such a cheap shot at anybody <laughs> who likes to see your national sovereign or dislikes seeing your national sovereignty just completely run roughshod over i mean if these were 
Ukrainians, I'd feel sorry for them. I'd still be like, get in line. There's a process. Right. Stop jumping the frigging border. Well, and there was, and there we have had an influx for many countries. That's also true. I'm, I'm yeah. The, simply, the idea that it's all South America still right. is is a complete joke. I mean, people have now realized, like, oh, okay, the fast track to get into America and maybe get citizenship eventually. Who knows? Depends how long Democrats hold Congress. Uh, is is okay? Fly to Mexico and walk north. Well, and it's just. Uh, you know, I noticed this last night. I was listening to the simulcast of the PBS NewsHour, which is on WETA-FM, uh, because the show is produced at WETA-TV. And Judy Woodruff let off the show, and she was like, border battle, migrant lives hang in the balance. I mean, it's like everything is about, can we get them in here and get them a, a blanket? I mean, there's right, right. it's all, let's be a full service all immigration country. Right. And so I I know that many different people have many different opinions on Ann Coulter. I think that one of the best lines, though, that she has ever produced is that the Democratic establishment views, and much of the left in America in general, view immigration as a foreign aid program. And it's not. Yeah. Well, I, I that makes sense. I thought usually what they'll say is it's also a uh, grow the Democratic Party base program. They definitely see it that way. But as as far as the people who aren't being calculating and, you know, cynical about it, yeah. uh, if you just walk up to an average, I, I would assume, you know, just liberal voter, chances are it's very their, – their opinion on what the immigration system should be is very uh, similar to what a foreign aid program basically – they basically see it as, as a charity thing. A humanitarian. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to national sovereignty and what benefits America. That's kind of like – it's that is treated as if it just has this sense of, oh, that's mean, you know, that's that's not right. That's not right. And it's like, why? It's it's our country that they want to come into, you know, like colleges are selective, et cetera. And obviously there's a lot of different people that fall on a lot of different sides of that. But just the general pervading sense among everybody in the media is that it is just a humanitarian program. And and they've been doing this for many years. Yes. I've often said, I did a study of this in 2006, and that's when George W. Bush was wanted to pass immigration reform, comprehensive immigration reform. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, Antonio wants to come out of the shadows. And it was, all the focus was in Antonio or, uh, or whoever the migrant was. They don't even use the word illegal now. No, they, they don't. They, no, that's actually a hate word, I'm pretty sure, at this point. Well, I was going to say, groups like the National Association of Hispanic Journalists is like, no person is illegal. Well, you know what else, actually? Um, CBP is no longer allowed to, they're no longer allowed to use the word illegal or the phrase illegal alien at all, except in formal legal documents where the, the term actually is, is it literally has a legal distinction because that's the most precise term for it. Um, but other than that, they're not allowed to use the term illegal alien. Yes, this is where we discuss again the notion of we will tell you what terminology we're all going to be using. Yes. All right. Finally, I'm going to I got something here to surprise you. That's, Clay Waters sent this to me. Oh, OK. NeimanLab.org comes out of the Neiman Foundation set up at Harvard. Mm. And this is, of course, the current shingle of Brian Stelter there at the Kennedy School. And they were asking predictions about the media business in the years to come. And Stelter still being Stelter. They were discussing the, the concept of news avoiders. I have sisters who are news avoiders. 
Sounds healthy, to be honest. Well, that's this is kind of it. They're sort of like, as long as there's not a, a global thermonuclear war, I don't need to know right. this, that, and the other thing. The news depresses me, right? I mean, it's it's sort of like that. It depresses most people, I think. Well, I was going to say, we should be the most depressed, but we... <laughs> But here we are. Uh, you so, have your days and sometimes you laugh and sometimes you just go, Ugh. Yeah, yeah, it's, I feel put upon. Yeah. All right, so Stelter says, In the United States, some people who rarely keep up with the news like it that way, perhaps to protect their own sanity. And another subset, mostly on the right, shun America's main news sources and opt into an alternative media system that supplies very little reporting, but lots of rage bait. <laughs> One of your own making, Brian. <laughs> you are the rage baiter. Yeah, Ryan, you're ta- Brian, you're talking about yourself there, bud. <laughs> yeah, CNN is never producing rage bait. No, I'd, I'll, I'll tell you as somebody who watches CNN for a living, there is that, that whole channel is rage bait. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've been mocking them this week on Twitter because... Chris Licht gave this interview to the New York Times, and mm-hmm. he's like, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna be a twenty four seven Trump channel. We're not gonna let him dictate the news." And it's like, you turn it on this week, and it's all like investigating Trump, investigating Trump, insurrection investigation. You know, I mean, that's they can't, they just can't quit him. Right. It's it's like, wow, I can't believe that firing Brian Stelter and John Harwood didn't fix everything. It's like, <laughs> well, it it turns out that the and entire, Chris Eliza. Oh right, I forgot about <laughs> wait Chris Eliza. I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Where am I going to get my world's worst takes from? <laughs> and I have to follow his, his independent career. Maybe I'll subscribe to his Substack stack so I know what not to believe. He's kind of like the Jim Cramer of news. But, um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I think that the whole house is kind of filled with asbestos at this point. Like it's, it, it is a noble goal what you're doing there, Chris Licht. But I, uh, I good luck it's is not- all I'll say. It's just not happening. I mean, this whole notion of the whole thing top to bottom is is like that, you know? Yeah, it's it's this whole notion of I'm going to come into CNN and we're going to create a trusted news channel that's uh, well, he can't say it's going to be down the middle. Yeah, he can't say that because the me the lefties throw a fit because to, to them, any channel you move to the middle you're just you're moving it to the right. You might as well be Fox News. Yeah, they make and they make this argument a million times too, a million times a day, which is, you know, you're you're basically giving equal time to both the KKK and the guy who the KKK want to lynch. And that's not OK. You know, it's it's that kind of false dichotomy that they present. Exactly. You know, when it's like, well, how how can you give equal time to the right when the right wants to destroy destroy everything that we hold dear? Lick tried to say that. he, he No, what he's trying to say is, well, I want have people on that like the rain and people who don't like the rain and I'm just not going to put on the people that are denying it's raining. Hmm. So I mean, but the, in reality they're not doing that. I mean, they're they you know, they're trying to put some Republicans on, but their own audience, the CNN natural audience and it's not a big audience compared to Fox News. But they don't want it. They don't want Republicans in their face. No, and and what they're basically I was I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today. Uh, it's a noble goal, but essentially what what he's trying to do, and I don't know how consciously he he is doing this uh, or if he's even aware of it, but what he's basically saying when he says that is we are going to abandon our small, fairly sycophantic base for a much larger potential audience that is yet untapped for us, but who right now have a fairly low opinion of us, right? And that's that's quite the gamble. 
That's know? sort of what Stelter was hinting at. And that was, well, CNN can't get the Fox News rage baiters. But there's lots of people out there who, who, who you know, who are gettable. Um, you know, I thought one of the ways that CNN could get, you know, improve their rep or just the way they, they sound on air is just by doing less politics. Less politics, I think, is the only way to do that. Yeah, yeah. you don't. You don't try to do the centrist politics thing because then you run into the same issue you always will, which is saying, I'm doing this in innately political issue and I'm going to be completely unbiased. And it's like, well, here's one million examples of you failing to m reach that standard of you being unbiased. You kept Don Lemon. Right. Don Lemon, who goes on Colbert and says, we've never been liberal. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. If you haven't seen that, that was our quote of the year. We call it the Brian Stelter Memorial Quote of the Year. See, so I brought Stelter in on several different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, my joke would be maybe next year it'll be the Don Lemon Memorial Quote of the Year. But Could I, be. Well, you know, he's the back-to-back -back winner of this quote. Last year it was the Chris Cuomo Memorial Quote of the Year. We keep There, there keeps being a new scalp to put on that award. Maybe it'll be the Chris Saliza Memorial. I don't know. Maybe. I, but it's, it's not important enough. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, but it's just... Uh, it is amazing where they try to say, well, we're not liberal at all. But when you try to make CNN less liberal, Lemon has had a fit on the air. You know, he can't stand the idea. And I think they're they're afraid. What if they create a channel that's sort of more in the middle? It's like, well, wait, now you're not you're not controlled by what the Democrats want to say and do and the terms right. they want to use. Right. Well, this is this is where the whole their politics are a religion thing. This is where we run up against that, right? Because to a Don Lemon, they objectively aren't liberal. They are just telling the truth. Yeah. You know, the truth just, who who was it that came up with that stupid line? Reality has a liberal bias or yes. whatever. Well, the, right, like that's, that is basically I think how that's Colbert. I mean, Colbert was... Very willing to believe that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, there was, well, when he was playing a stupid conservative, mm -hmm. there was that notion Um you know, I always thought, boy, it'll be great to have him just be an ardent liberal instead of being a fake conservative. Good Lord, is it worse? It is. It is worse. But, I, you know, at least it's not those I'm a conservative. I don't read books. Kind right. Of stuff. Right. Yeah. That shtick got old really quick. But that he is he's just he's gotten really vicious as uh, when he now that he's telling the actual truth about his opinions. Yeah. And as Alex Christie has pointed out with studying it. You know, it's it's like a Democrat National Committee, uh, you know, interview room. It's I mean, I, you, you really have to be a Democrat to enjoy these shows now. Right. You know, maybe not so much Jimmy Fallon, who is really a little bit more on the little Johnny Carson model. Yeah, he's trying in this day and age. So but uh, I was going to say uh, we'll be back on Friday. Uh we will skip the next two Mondays because those are off days here at the MRC. But we'll be here to keep you up to date in between, right before and in between the holidays. So come around, listen, read us once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, everybody.